spoke a word into the void and creation happened. And Father, we pray that this morning you would speak that same word. We pray that you would even speak it through us. And Lord, we thank you that your word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. And your word showed us who you are. And so now, Lord God, help us to speak the word. We ask that you would help us to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. One of my favorite stories is one that's told by uh, Fred Craddock about a time when he was on vacation in the Smoky Mountains, Tennessee, with his wife. It was the last day of vacation. They were on their way back. Kids were at grandma's. So they were cherishing the last few hours of their time together before life got hectic. They decided to stop their favorite little greasy spoon on the way back to Atlanta called the, the Blackberry Inn. They went in, sat down toward the back of the restaurant, uh, just enjoying the quiet, their time together, when, when this country bumpkin sort of fellow walked into the cafe. He started talking to everybody, and everybody started talking to him. And, and Craddock says he hid behind his menu, uh, reading, you know, looking like he was looking for the cheeseburgers, and he prayed, oh, Lord, please don't let him come talk to me. Then he heard a shuffling sound, and then a loud voice, hey, you folks are on vacation? Fred said, uh, yes. You having a good time? Thought to himself, well, we were having a good time. And then he said, you gonna be around here? You gonna be here long? Fred said, no, we're not gonna be here long. And then the old guy said this. He, he said, well, what do you do? That was the question that Fred had been waiting for because he had an answer that would shut people down. I'm a pastor. And a theologian. He was a pastor and a, and a theologian. And so he said to the old guy, he said, uh, I'm a professor of homiletics. Uh, at uh, the Candler School of Theology in Emory University. And the old fellow, he just lit up and he said, hey, you're a preacher, man. Well, I got a preacher story for you. And he pulled up a chair and sat down. <laughs> said, I was born back here in these mountains. My, my mama, she, um, she wasn't married. I didn't know who my daddy was. Well, now, that, that's not such a problem today. But back then, you see, that was a... That was a problem. The, the women folk, they used to spend their time guessing who my daddy was, and I didn't know who, who my daddy was. My mama, she worked all the time, and the other boys, they weren't allowed to play with a, with a boy like me. So at recess, I, I hid in the weeds. I, I ate my lunch alone. They said I wasn't any good, that I'd never amount to, to anything. They had a name for me. 
they called me Ben the Basher Boy. Ben the Basher Boy, Ben the Basher Boy, Ben the Basher Boy. I thought, I thought Basher Boy was my last name. By now the old guy was tearing up. He collected himself. He said, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm sorry. I, what I was fixing to tell you was, well, there was this church nearby here in Laurel Springs had a preacher voice, big like God. And so I used to sneak in. Now, I knew church wasn't a place for boys like me, so I'd sneak into the back and I'd sit there and then, you know, I'd sneak out before the service was over. Well, this one day, the preacher, he just, he just went on and I got all caught up in what he was saying and before I knew it, the service was over and, and the aisles all jammed up and I was trying to get out of there before anyone would see me, but, but, but I got stuck in the aisle and I was making my way toward that, that back door when all of a sudden I felt this big hand on my shoulder, boom, like this, and then a voice, a voice big, uh, his voice said, boy, and I froze. I knew who it was, it was the preacher man. He said, boy, he's speaking really, really loud so everybody could hear, everybody was looking at me now. He said, boy, 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 who's your daddy? It was like a knife in my heart. And then, and, then, and then he said really loud, he said, well, let's see now. Why, you're a child of, you're, why, goodness sakes, you're a child of, and then he paused, he paused. It felt like judgment day. I was waiting for judgment. And he said, I know, I know, I know who your daddy, I want, does he know who my daddy is? And then really loud, so everybody could hear Everybody was looking really loud. The preacher's man, he said, boy, I know who your daddy is. Your daddy is God. And I see a striking resemblance. And then he patted me on the bottom and he said, now you run along and claim your inheritance. Then the old guy looked at Craddock and he said, preacher man, I was born that day. And he got up, shuffled out of the cafe. No sooner had the door shut that the waitress, she came scurrying over to Craddock's table and she said, what did he say, what did he say, what did he say? And Craddock said, well, uh, the old guy t t told me a story. Why'd you ask? She looked at him a moment and she said, you, you mean to tell me you don't know who that is? You don't know who that is? No, I'm sorry, I don't know who, she, who that is. She said, well, that's Ben Hooper. That's Ben Hooper, the illegitimate boy that was elected twice the governor of Tennessee. Illegitimate boy. Hmm. We well, see, he couldn't have been that illegitimate if his daddy was God. The preacher didn't say your daddy could be God, might be God. If you know you were only good enough, tried hard enough, were kind enough, and the preacher didn't say, earn your inheritance. He said, go claim your inheritance. You know, if you feel like a bastard, you think you have to earn love. You have to earn your inheritance. But if you're a beloved son, a beloved daughter, well, you just claim your inheritance. You walk in it. Like a pair of your daddy's boots, you just walk in it. Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as beloved children, writes Paul. Imitate God. Dang, that's a pretty tall order, isn't it?
Remember what Jesus said? Be perfect. <laughs> As your heavenly Father is perfect. And this line, imitate God, Paul says it after a string of, 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 of like, well, like of commandments, I mean, that are, that are pretty daunting when you read them. It's Ephesians 4, remember? Speak truth, be angry, don't sin, don't steal, but share your goods, don't slander, but edify, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Then verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness, covetousness greediness, covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them, partake with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Be imitators of God. And gosh, imitating God appears to be rather stressful. I mean, if you don't imitate well, you have to deal with God's wrath. And you have no inheritance. And so maybe you aren't a son or a daughter. And so God is not your father. <laughs> but Ephesians 1, this is how Paul started the letter. Verse 2, he wrote, peace from God our father. Verse 4, you were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the, that's before he even started walking. Before the foundation of the world, uh, you were chosen in Christ, predestined for adoption through Jesus Christ. Verse 7, then remember, for good works which you prepared beforehand that you would walk in them. Uh, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Ephesians 3, 14, God is the father from every family in heaven and on earth is named. See, I don't think Paul is saying that if we don't imitate well, we aren't sons or daughters. I think he's saying if we don't imitate well, we're not claiming our inheritance. Verse eight, he, he wrote this. You were darkness. That's a son of disobedience. That's a child of wrath. You were darkness, but now you're light. That means that at one time, these Ephesians had an e eternal inheritance. They had an eternal inheritance, an eternal inheritance, but they were not having it. They were not claiming it. They were not walking in it in space and time. Remember the story of the prodigal son? Remember that story? It's kind of a famous story. He demanded his inheritance and then squandered the money in a far country. And then he returned to his father with a conniving and cheating heart 
but remember how the father ran to him on the road, and before the son could say a word, the father grabbed him, hugged him, showered him with love, melted his icy heart, then gave him a ring, a robe, shoes, and a party. You see, I think Jesus is making this point in this story that the real inheritance wasn't his father's stuff. It was his father. So the inheritance was there all along, right? His father's heart, it was there all along. The inheritance was there all along, but the boy couldn't claim it until he'd been to the far country and saw how his father loved him at his very worst out on that dusty road. The kingdom he inherited then was his father's heart. You see, you cannot have, you cannot have the kingdom of love and hate love at the very same time. You cannot have the kingdom of truth and be a lie. You cannot inherit the light and remain in darkness. That hateful, lying, dark you, that self-righteous old you that you have created in pride and fear that that you, that old you, must die. And he does die in the light of love who is your father. So I don't think Paul is saying that if you don't imitate well, you are not a son or a daughter. I think he's saying if you don't believe that you are a son or daughter, you cannot imitate at all. You cannot claim your inheritance. So Ephesians 5.1, therefore imitate God as beloved children, not so that you might be or could be beloved children. Imitate God as beloved children, not as actors trying out for a part, not as clergy trying to get a job and salary, not as uh, businessmen or, or stockbrokers or consumers trying to earn the kingdom of God. Imitate God as beloved children. As beloved children. How do beloved children imitate? I see some of you kind of smiling, smirking, your parents. Because, you, you know, this did catch me off guard as a new daddy. They imitate everything. I mean, I remember when Jonathan started in the preschool at the, at the church where I was a youth pastor. It's like every day he came home with a note about his inappropriate language. Would say something like, um, today, Jonathan said, I have to hawk a loogie. That is inappropriate. Today, Jonathan said, I have a whiz to throw. That is inappropriate. And Susan, Susan, uh, Susan wouldn't get mad at Jonathan She'd get mad at me. She'd get mad at me. They imitate everything, and always, even if you tell them not to. I remember I used to say to Elizabeth, Elizabeth, don't follow me. Then I'd start walking, I'd turn around, she's right there, walking right behind me. I almost killed her once that way. Story's too long to tell right here, but they, but they imitate, even if you tell them not to. Everything and always, even if you tell them not to, even if it hurts. I remember years ago, I went on this hot salsa kick, you know, where I'd eat hot salsa every night, and I remember so many times sitting there at the coffee table, little two-year-old Elizabeth standing on the other side of the table eating salsa with me, tears just running, <laughs> running down her cheeks, and, and I'd say, honey, you don't have to eat the salsa, and she'd look up at me and she'd say, but daddy, I like salsa. 
We like salsa, don't we? We, you and me, we like salsa, Daddy. (laughs) Even if it hurts, even if they don't understand. Becky used to get so excited to to go in the van. We're going in the van, we're going in the van, we're going in the van, and then get her all buckled in and we'd be going, and she'd say, Daddy? Yep, where are we going? It didn't matter to Becky. She didn't have to understand where we were going, just that we were going, her and me. She was, she was like me. One morning, I remember Elizabeth said, hey, Daddy, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. And I said, really, what's that? She said, a paleontologist. And I was quiet for a minute. And she said, Daddy, yeah, what's a paleontologist? <laughs> she just knew that I studied paleontology in school. And she was going to be like me. They imitate. Everything, always, even if it hurts, even if you tell them not to, even if they don't understand. One one afternoon, this is about 22 years ago, I remember Jonathan and Elizabeth uh, were buckled in the back seat in their car seats and we were driving up the street from our house right along this back street by the church where where I worked and I just had to hawk a loogie. I I don't know how to say that in a nice way, but that's why it's just reality, okay, so just deal with it. I had to do that. Susan was sitting right here in the passenger seat. So I remember I, I rolled down the window. I made the appropriate noises. I ignored the objections of my wife and then I just let one fly, beautiful, right out the window. Immediately, I hear all this hacking and spitting <laughs> noises coming from the back seat and I turned around and John and Elizabeth, you know, they're strapped into their seats. They, they can't get the window down, but they're just hacking and spitting all over the window. Windows are just covered, covered with spit. And once again, my children did not get in trouble. I got in trouble. You see, they imitated me, but they imitated me poorly. But now check this out. They imitated me poorly, but I wasn't mad at them. Actually, I was proud of them. I remember turning around and just being so delighted as Susan, you know, gave me a joy. I got like, oh, those are my, those are my kids. <laughs> Beloved children imitate poorly, but perfectly. Check this out. I found this video in the closet last Thursday. Hello, you. Hello. You're an awfully great guy. What's that thing around your head? Um... Toilet paper. Toilet paper? Uh-huh. Well, you're going to learn how to go potty in that, right? Doesn't it make a sound when you sit on it? Uh-huh. That's great. What a nice potty. Boy, did you put those boots on yourself? Uh-huh. Pretty nice. <laughs> well, you look good, Coleman. But you know what? Don't bite that seat because I think it's been used once or twice. Okay. Whoa, that's fast. You're a very busy person, aren't you? Uh-huh. <laughs> you see what's going on there? Um, Coleman is trying to use the potty like me. Not doing a very good job of it, but trying to use the potty like me. Uh, he's uh, walking in boots like me. He's busy like me. It's a poor imitation, but uh, I think it's perfect. And now uh, check out this video. The sound is a little bit off, but I think you'll, you'll get the point. 
This is this is where we've signed up for church. There we go. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Okay, now going to church. Okay, this is where the church service is, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're gonna pass it on the offering basket. First, we're gonna sing the song, and we're gonna put water on each other's head so you can. We say that that clears up your mind so you can think about God better. And. It clears up your mind so you can see God better. Oh, well, that's good. Okay. I'm thinking of the three ninjas. God, love is a bubble in a world. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's put a round of applause. If you need any praying, you can talk to John. He's right there, and he'll go press you in the back of the prayer room. And it's time for the children's sermon. How did God make the earth? Did he... Make it God make the earth. Well, yeah. How did God make the earth, John? He used cheese. Mom, do you know how he made the earth? No, but I'll ask him when I get to heaven. So will I, because I don't know. Neither do I. Even though if... Neither do I. Guess Liturgical dance. I think so. I think that's what that must have been. Hey! And I just know why God has given us this world to us. And it seems like two base to eat and Jesus for to eat. And mice will might eat it. And Thank you. Thank you, Coleman. <laughs> Check out Coleman's sermon. I don't know if you could hear that, but he said, I know why God has made the earth, and then something, and toothpaste to eat, and Jesus for to eat, and I'm going to eat it. <laughs> you see, he'd just gotten in trouble for sneaking toothpaste and eating toothpaste in the front row. <laughs> of church, and so now he's justifying his sin with a sermon. <laughs> God gave us toothpaste to eat, and Jesus for to eat. And the theology of baptism, I don't know if you caught that in there, the theology of baptism was a little bit suspect, and, and the way that it was administered was a little bit uh, suspect, and, and the singing, the music, the singing was a bit off key. I mean, objectively speaking, that was probably the poorest, worst, most heretical church service that, that I've ever been to. The poorest, and yet the very best. Why? Well, you know, because my children were imitating me trying to imitate God. And the imitation was love, offered in freedom. I suspect that I became a pastor for some bad reasons, but one very good reason, I was imitating my dad. I saw God in my dad, God the Father in my dad. I imitated my dad and I imitated God the Father in freely given love. I imitated in freely given love and then I became a professional imitator. 
I mean, I went to seminary and gained the knowledge of how to imitate, imitate God and how to evaluate your imitation. I mean, I learned uh, the proper theology of baptism and how to preach a good sermon. I never really learned to sing on key, but I, I learned to imitate God for approval, for a grade, for a judgment, approval. Why do you imitate God? I mean, I hope you imitate God, but why do you imitate God? Is it to gain his approval? To gain his good judgment? Earn his love, acquire your inheritance? I went to seminary, I became a professional, I learned how to judge church services and thus judge myself, which means receiving hundreds and hundreds of other people's judgments of me. And so sometimes I wake up long before the sun and I just lie there thinking about all the ways I've failed. And hundreds of people's judgments of me and my failure. And then I just want to run into the darkness and hide, and I sure don't want to preach. I sure don't want to do this anymore. You see, in those moments, I think I'm not claiming my inheritance. You know, when my kids got older and went to school and learned how to judge themselves, the imitation thing, well, it got just a lot more complicated and a lot more painful. But that day, playing church in the girls' bedroom, there was only one measure of success, and that was the light in my eyes, the light in Susan's eyes. Paul writes, imitate God as beloved children and walk in love. Verse eight, at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Well, beloved children imitate poorly, yet perfectly, because they live in the light of their father's love. And his love, well, it's his love that changes them, creates them. He creates them. And now this is the thing that amazes me the most about my children's imitation of me during, during that time. Never once did I even suggest to the kids, not even suggest, uh, that they ought to or that they somehow needed to hold church services in the girl's bedroom. You see, children that know their beloved, don't try to imitate. I mean, yeah, the imitation takes effort and it takes energy and sometimes it can even hurt. I mean, the salsa can, can burn and, and you can get hurt in the process, but I never had to say, Coleman, Coleman, put on, put on those boots and try to walk like me. Get going on it. I, I never said to say, Elizabeth, you eat more. I don't care if it hurts. You eat more salsa like me. Or else, or else, you'll be in trouble. I mean, the imitation just happened. It, 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 wasn't, it was work, and yet it wasn't worked. And in fact, we call it play, not work, but play. Play, because they enjoyed it. They enjoyed imitating me without fear of me punishing them. It was recreation, recreation. 
it was holiday, holy day. It was Sabbath. You see, Sabbath is walking in the light of your Father's relentless love. That that's Sabbath, that's heaven. And that's your inheritance. Jesus said, you must become like a child to enter the kingdom. Ironically, it was when the children got older and went to school and began to measure their progress in their own eyes according to their knowledge of good and evil, it was when they began to imitate in pride and fear that that perfect imitation seemed to stop. It was when they began to try to imitate that they stopped imitating. It was when they forgot that they were already fully beloved that they stopped. They forgot. And you see, I think because I forget that I'm fully beloved, I don't think they always saw that light in my eyes reflecting the fact that they were fully beloved and yet they are fully beloved and always have been. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Well, then you see, it seems to me that the key to imitating God is not trying harder to imitate God, but realizing that you are Beloved, that you are the beloved. And so John writes this, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we would be called the children of God. And that is what we are. You know, Jesus commanded us to pray, our Father. It appears to use the word Abba a lot, and that should be translated Daddy, but it stressed the translators out so much they kept it in the original Aramaic. And Jesus said, Father, the love you've given me, you have given to them. Can you imagine God feels about you the way he feels about Jesus? That's the manner of love, the kind of love, Daddy love, that the Father has given unto us. When I became a father, I was just amazed at the way my little children would imitate me, but before that, I was shocked at the way I loved them. Because it was a new kind of love. It was a love that I hadn't experienced before. It was unconditional love. I mean, I didn't earn it. It wasn't to my credit. And they certainly did not earn it. I mean, they're just these little people that show up in your life and they can do nothing for you but spit and give you dirty diapers. And yet before long, I began to feel like I just would be a privilege to die for each one of them. I have this picture on my office wall. Actually, I left it up on my desk. You can see a frame of it, but I have it on my office wall. It's been hanging there next to my door now for, for 10 years. Coleman is really mad, though, in this photo because the potty chair is stuck on his head. <laughs> and he can't get it off, and I'm not helping him because I'm taking his picture because I think he's perfect just as he is. See, I really like Coleman. That's how I feel about Coleman. I just, I just really like him. And Coleman can still have days that are roughly equivalent to this, but I still can look at him and see this. My, he will always be my beloved son. But now, if, if you showed up in my living room, in diapers with a potty chair stuck on your head, stamping your feet uh, in cowboy boots, well, I, I wouldn't feel the same way. I'd call the police. Have you, have you arrested? And that's because uh, I'm not your daddy. But God is your daddy. And that's how he sees you. 
Now that, that's wonderful news, and yet when you think about it, it's also kind of offensive news, isn't it? I mean, you're offended by that? Does it kind of bother you? He's impressed with you, but not with the you that you are impressed with. <laughs> no, it's that. When God looks down at our worship services, do you think he's impressed? I impressed with our theology of baptism and the way that it's administered? Impressed with the quality of music and the quality of our dancing? Impressed that my sermon is more finely crafted than, than Coleman's? Uh, do, do you think he's impressed? Well, um, I doubt it. And yet, if we do any of it in love, he sees perfection. Well, anyway, I keep this picture on my office wall right by the door at my house as I'm, as I'm walking out so that I will always remember who I am. Not Reverend Hyatt, but Abba's child, my daddy's son, and he's very fond of me. Well, anyway, daddy love is, is like that. It's unearned, it's unconditional. It's very passionate. It's a new father. That just shocked me as well. I remember this one day, I took Jonathan with me to the mini market. He must have been about three or so. I remember we were standing in line and this teenage kid had started to check out our, our groceries and I had gotten John one of these uh, Pez Mickey Mouse candy uh, Pez dispenser things, you know the little things. So anyway, John's standing there. He's just so excited about this Pez dispenser. He's standing there in line. I remember I'm leaning back against the railing. He goes up to the counter. He holds it on his tiptoes and he goes, see Mickey Mouse, see Mickey Mouse. He's working a little head for the guy. See Mickey Mouse. And, and this teenage kid just wouldn't look at my son. And so John just got louder. See Mickey Mouse, see Mickey, look, see Mickey Mouse, see Mickey Mouse, see Mickey Mouse. And this checker just kept checking groceries. And you know, I think each of us feels so much like little Jonathan Hyatt. In so many ways we say to the world, see me, see me, see me. And nobody looks. But God looks, the Father looks, he sees, and I saw. And John would say, see me, see me, see me. And finally this kid, I remember, he kind of looked over and he said, yeah, kid, I see it. And then he went back to checking his groceries. I was standing back against the rail and I, I remember I like grabbed the railing. Because <laughs> all at once I had this bizarre fantasy that entered my head. I pictured myself jumping over the counter, grabbing this teenage kid by the throat and just choking him as I yelled, look at the freaking Pez dispenser! It's the best damn Pez dispenser in the whole world! But I stopped myself. Because just as I was about to jump over the counter and throttle this kid, I had a thought. And the thought was this, hey Peter, what if I'm that kid's daddy? And you don't see him but I see him. You know, we struggle sometimes to understand the wrath of God. We say we don't understand the wrath of God, but a daddy understands the wrath of God. I thought, what if this kid is a child of God? What if God is his 
Daddy, uh, what if I don't see him and God does see him? What if uh, everyone is a child of God? What, what if God is everyone's daddy and none of us truly sees the other? And, and what about this? What if John does not see John? What if one day John does not see John the way I see John right now? I mean, what if each one of us is our own worst enemy? What is the father to do with all his wrath, with all his passion? I don't think we even begin to understand this. But on the cross, God poured out all his wrath on himself for us. He poured out all his wrath and now we drink it as mercy. It's the light that burns away the darkness. It's the judgment of this fallen world. It destroys our disobedience and gives birth to the obedience of love, the imitation of God. I remember one particularly horrid day, horrid day by about 19 years ago. Elizabeth was just awful all, all day long, and, and, and the spankings hadn't worked, the threats hadn't worked, nothing seemed to work. And I remember that night I just said to everybody, hey, let's all go out to dinner. So everybody in the van, we get in the van, we're on the way to dinner, and Elizabeth was just mean, absolutely mean to everyone in the van. So we got to the place, I parked the van, I said, uh, okay, everybody inside, except you, Elizabeth. You come up here and you sit right next to me. And we had one of those Plymouth Voyagers, you know, sat in this seat. I sat in this seat and I just stared her down. And she stared me down. And I said, Elizabeth, what has gotten into you? You're just being so mean. What has gotten into you? And she said, well, I know, but I'm not telling you. I just didn't know what to do. And so after a while, I said, well, you just come over here. And I put her on my lap, and I just hugged her. I just, I just held her. I mean, she'd been absolutely awful. She was at her worst, but I didn't know what else to do. And so I just loved on her. You know, it was St. Paul that wrote, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. I mean, we sat in the van a while. I just... Hugged her for a while, and then through tears, she said, Daddy? I said, yeah. She said, Daddy, do you remember Kelly? When you came to my kindergarten class, do you remember Kelly? And I said, yeah, I, I, I remember Kelly. She was this little girl that just glommed on to me. It was weird. I mean, everywhere I went, Kelly went. And she said, well, Daddy, after you left our class, Kelly said, Kelly said that you said that, 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 that you, you loved her and you didn't love me. And then back Elizabeth just started sobbing, these huge sobs in my arms. I'm holding it. I said, oh, honey, that's not true. And they said, Elizabeth, does Kelly have a daddy? And Elizabeth said, yeah. But he just moved away. I said, oh, honey, I want you to look at me. You look in my eyes. I want you to look at me and hear me. I will always love you. And that will not change. Do you understand that? I will always, please, Elizabeth, believe. Please believe that I love you because it hurts me when you don't believe I love you. 
and Elizabeth, wouldn't you doubt that I love you? Well, I want you to tell me so that I can tell you once again, I love you. What's gotten into you, I had said. Answer, the lie from hell that creates hell, that creates sons and daughters of disobedience, that creates the children of the lie. You see, you have an enemy, and he whispers in your ear, the Father does not love you. So you know what? You, you ought to try and make him love you. Get some knowledge of good and evil. <laughs> And use it to make yourself in his image. You need to compete with those guys at church. You could be better than them. You could be better, better than them. Imitate God. Yeah, imitate him. In pride and fear. Hey, look, look, there's a tree. <laughs> right there in the middle of the garden, you have an enemy. And that's what he tells you. You know, at the cross, God loved us, didn't, I? didn't he? he? He loved us at our absolute worst. That was our Father in Christ. Did you know that? That was our Father in Christ that we nailed to the tree in the garden, John 19, 41. In that place there, he was crucified that there was a garden. There, our Father loves us at our absolute worst. And there we behold his love. And there the old man is destroyed and God gives birth to the new. And there the sons of disobedience are destroyed and the sons of God are created in his image. There the vessels of wrath are transformed into vessels of mercy. So maybe you see, maybe that's why God made the world. To show us that. In Coleman's words, that we would eat the toothpaste. That we would bite the apple and then see he loves us at our absolute worst and then we'd feast on his mercy and imitate him forever in the freedom of love. Maybe, in the words of St. Paul, God consigned all to disobedience in order that he might have mercy on all, in order that all might see his mercy and imitate him forever in love, imitate God, imitate God. And, and maybe you've been thinking this thought, imitate God, how can I imitate God? I can't even see God. I mean, it's not like I could go for a walk in the garden with God. How do we imitate God when we can't even see God? You know, Jesus said this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Paul wrote, God in Christ forgave you. You see, it was God that we nailed to that tree in the garden. It was your father hanging on that tree, and it's not an accident. He wants you to see that he loves you at your absolute worst. He wants you to see that it wasn't nails that held him to that wood. It wasn't Satan that held him to that wood. It wasn't Romans that held him uh, to that wood. It was his furious and relentless love for you that held him to that wood. He wants you to see 
his love for you so you would walk in his love and claim your inheritance. Hebrews 4.32, or Ephesians 4.32. God, this is what we read. God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Beloved children, imitate. And now I need to say something before we end because I think some of you are probably struggling with shame. Some of you parents may be struggling with shame because maybe you're thinking to yourself, hey, Peter, well, you know, um, I, I really love my kids, but my kids have not imitated me like your kids have imitated you. Let me point out that in all my stories today, my children were under the age of six. Okay, just <laughs> notice that. And I'd also like to point out that God is the perfect father and God has several billion children, and most of them use him, reject him, and still curse him. But that does not mean that he hasn't loved them. It means that they have not yet beheld his love. He reveals his love when we are at our very worst, and that's according to plan. So if your children are at their very worst, don't condemn yourself. Behold your father's love for you and imitate him. Love your children at their very worst in the image and likeness of your father. You see, he's still making you in his image. And now I found this to be a bit shocking as I've grown older as well. But, but, you know, my most treasured memories of each of my children comes from more recent years, long after the age of, of six. And in each case, when I think about it, it's a moment when they've come to the end of themselves and allowed me to love them at their worst. When they've surrendered themselves at their worst. That's the very best. For in those moments, we are allowed to commune in unconditional love. And my God is unconditional love. And his heart is my inheritance. Well, anyway, maybe this topic is is hard for you because of, of your children. Maybe this topic is hard for you because of your father, and you say, well, Peter, I didn't have a father like your father, you know, a father that just loved me and I longed to emulate. My father was abusive, he was cruel. Maybe your father raped you, maybe he ignored you, maybe he rejected you, and you say, well, my father wasn't like that, like your father, Peter. And worst of all, I still imitate him. I'm haunted by him. I can't shake him, I look in the mirror and I see him. You know, psychologists say that fathers shape our worlds, even when we don't want them to shape our worlds. So we imitate them even when we're not dearly beloved. That's how desperate little children are uh, to imitate. So they, so they imitate. Uh, even, if, even if you're not, such that by the age of three, this is how much influence fathers have over, such that by the age of three, our view of reality and the way we relate to reality has basically been set such that we couldn't change it. In order to change it, we'd have to be like born again or something. I remember my aunt uh, telling me a story about this boy that was born in 1919. He grew up during the Depression and the Dust Bowls. His father 
uh, lost like three or four businesses during the depression, became an alcoholic, became uh, abusive, became cruel. And when this boy would stand up for one of his seven sisters as they were being ridiculed and abused, he'd be ridiculed and abused as well and called a, a sissy. Anyway, she said this one night, he, he woke up to the sound of screaming and yelling, ran down the stairs in the farmhouse and stood at the door of the kitchen to see this, his, his father holding a rifle, waving it around the kitchen, screaming. His mother was hanging onto the stock of the rifle, screaming, don't do it, don't do it. And his father was screaming, where are them sons of bitches? I'm gonna kill all of them. Where are them sons of bitches? I'm gonna kill them. And it didn't even stop until his brother ran across the frozen fields of Nebraska to a nearby farmhouse, called the police, and the police came and took that boy his daddy away. Now, a psychologist would tell you, well, that boy will probably grow up uh, abusive, cruel, limited in his ability to love, like his daddy. Uh, likely that man will be limited in his ability to love, cruel, and abusive. And yet I got to tell you, that man was the most kind, loving, Christ-like man I've ever known. That man was my daddy. I remember at family get-togethers. As a kid, I'd watch my daddy and I'd think, why are you so different than all of them? <laughs> what happened to him? Same thing that happened to Ben Hooper. Same thing that happened to Saul of Tarsus. Same thing that happened to John, the son of thunder, who we call the beloved disciple. When he was 19, my dad, here in Denver, I think he'd come to work on the railroad or something, he went to some church with a friend and he heard a preacher preach the gospel. In other words, he heard the preacher say, boy, I know who your daddy is. And my daddy believed him and walked in love, claimed his inheritance. He claimed his father's heart. On the night that Jesus was betrayed by all of us, Jesus from the bosom of the father, You know, have you ever thought about that? That I think we sometimes talk as if like Jesus saved us from an angry father. You know what I mean? But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. It was God in Christ that forgave you. Jesus, from the bosom of the father, the father's heart, he took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this. And remember, remember me. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant. It's new because it's eternal. Always new because it's eternal. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. Do it in remembrance of me. So you see, I know who your daddy is. Your daddy is God. 
and he's calling you to his table in order that you would claim your inheritance, his heart. You are not a bastard. You are the dearly beloved. Believe the gospel and live. When I was a new dad, I remember how much I delighted in the fact that, that my kids would just sometimes set down all their toys and come sit on my lap. And see, I think I still delight in that even though the toys are so much more complicated, so much more involved. But maybe that's what would be a good thing for us to do, for you to do every morning even perhaps. I mean, I, you do it in different ways, but just sit on your father's lap and know that he loves you. Before I preach, I was doing this last night, this morning, just trying to picture myself as Coleman, going, well, God, could I just do this in, in your eyes? <laughs> See, that's how we're supposed to live. So just behold the love that he has for you, and you'll imitate. Let him love you as we worship. Maybe that means sitting on his lap. Maybe that means walking uh, in the rocks and trees, the flowers, the skies and seas. Maybe that means looking on Jesus. You know, sometimes we think that Jesus and God the Father are like different or something. But you see, Jesus is the Father out on the road come to get you. When you look at Jesus, you're looking at your Father's heart. The grace of God poured out. Behold his love and worship him. you feel. Maybe you feel free. Maybe you feel bound up. Maybe you're wondering, well, what do I do now? What do I not do now? Uh, I, I don't know, but listen to this. Listen closely. God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. In Jesus' name. Believe the gospel and you'll live the gospel. Amen.